Welcome back to the Pilgrim Faith Podcast, as well as the... Upstream Podcast. The Upstream yeah. Podcast. This is a co-podcast event. We're here in the beautiful the beautiful country of Landrum, South Carolina, at the 8th uh, Annual Convivium Irenicum with the Davenant Institute, talking uh, at our conference here about classical education. Our plenary speaker this year is the illustrious Dr. Gene Edward Veith, <laughs> who is, uh, for those who are uh, aware of the classical education movement, is one of the uh, preeminent commentators on it and has helped uh, a whole generation of people think through what it means to educate. And so the three of us, Dale and I, and our good friend Shane Morris from the Colson Center, uh, are just going to have a conversation with Dr. Veith and, uh, about classical education. Each of us throw something at him, I guess. And... Sure. So I think we could open it up real quick with um, the paper that you presented uh, this, this morning was Protestants, Protestantism's Challenge to classical education. Um, and I wish we could walk through the entire paper. It was very good. Uh, but one thing that resonated with me, and this is something that Joe and I talk about pretty regularly on the uh, podcast, is you ended it with a call to uh, ultimately classical education should cash out in service. And by that, you gave us a good treatment of uh, Luther's doctrine of vocation. Um, so this the classical model of educating young people is to form virtue in the soul, uh, give them the principles uh, in which they can become better citizens, better church members, you said, better friends, sons and daughters. So maybe you can talk to us a little bit about why it cashes out that way. What is unique about the classical educational uh, model that really lends itself to producing good citizens that are serving their neighbors? Yeah, well, classical education is often contrasted with uh, vocational training. Mm, right. Those are the terms that are used. Mm. Uh, and that to use that word vocation, that just means job or occupation or what you do for a living. And there is a view of education that says that's all you need. Train a child to get a good job, make lots of money, and any education that doesn't do that is impractical or whatever and on the other side a lot of classical educators kind of talking that, um, that way too uh, yeah. the idea of the liberal arts education is not to be sullied with such practical concerns it's to study things that are good in themselves and this is a pursuit that's valuable unto itself and uh, anyway the, the reformers, when they started to teach people, ordinary people, peasants, women, uh, to, this whole idea of universal education so that people can be taught to read the Bible, they didn't just open Bible reading schools. They opened really classical schools. A liberal education was designed, the word comes from uh, the Latin word for freedom. And yeah. it was goes back to the Greeks and Romans. There's an education for slaves, servile education, and there was an education for people who were to be free. And, and, and that was the liberal education. But the reformers really, I think, complicated that. Um, when Luther... And others talk about liberal education. They related it to the doctrine of vocation, mm. which is the idea 
that God calls us, vocation just comes from the Latin word for calling, God calls Christians to live out their faith in different relationships and different tasks. Uh, again, there were three estates uh, Luther spoke about, the, the estate of the household, which includes the family. And again, being a husband or a wife or father or mother or son or daughter, those were vocations right. from God. And um, also within that, we talked. he talked about economic vocations. The word economics comes from the laws of the household. Hmm. And so what families did to make a living, back then you were a, a peasant farmer or you were a middle class craftsman or you hmm. were a... Right a noble or whatever. And these are all family tasks in that kind of economy, that society. Anyway, so we have vocations in the, in the, in the, the family. We have vocations in the state, the citizens. We have vocations in the church. Mm. And so the purpose of every vocation, what Luther said, was to love and serve your neighbor. Not to love and serve God as such. Luther got into big controversies about that because the people who said you were saved by good works, by that meant they thought they were doing things for God. Uh, they would go into a monastery or take vows of celibacy. So Luther saw as rejecting the vocation of family. Uh, uh, vows of poverty, rejecting having to make a living like everybody else, vow of obedience, meaning to that you weren't, you obeyed the church, but you were not under the laws of your community. Yeah. And so those were repudiations of, of vocation, Luther thought, because he said that if you're going to do a good work, it has to actually help somebody. And we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so scripture says even the love of God, you know, St. John says, not that we first loved him, but that he first loved us and gave his son as a propitiation for our sin. And so our relationship to God is always God's doing through Christ. But then God sends us into our everyday lives. He sends us into our vocations. Yeah. Uh, he sends us to neighbors whom we're to love and serve. Uh, anyway, when the reformers talked about education, they talked about liberal education, liberal arts, classical education. But the idea is that this was an approach to education that equipped us to serve our neighbor better. Mm. And, and not just in our, in our occupation, in our job, that's a small part of it. But he felt it would make better husbands, better wives, better sons and daughters, better better rulers. And that those are all vocations. Not those just are vocations. Right. Yeah. Right. So, in this idea of liberal education that the Protestant reformers came up with, it was built around. It was vocational, in that bigger sense. It still promoted this idea of freedom, mm -hmm. the free citizen, because the Reformation idea of freedom 
was the freedom to love and serve our neighbors freely. They keep saying, not because we're compelled to, not because we have to to get to heaven, not because we've got to keep score of our good works, but freedom. And, and this idea of Christian freedom was part of what the Christian approach to classical education entailed. And it was oriented to helping us serve. Um, uh, I, I quoted uh, uh, Aristotle on this, who, who said that a free person is served. That if you're, you're doing something for other people, that's servile. That's slave-like. Right, right, yeah. uh, whereas Luther and the other reformers saw that as the heart of the Christian life. And so it's the the Reformation stress classical Christian education, but it's different from the classical education that the pagans or even the humanists pursued. Uh, it's different from the vocational training that just teaches you how to do a good job because it's not about teaching a, a, a craft or something. You learn that through apprenticeship, Luther talks about. Rather, it forms the mind in a particular way. It forms the person to be sensitive to others and to be equipped to serve them better. Mm, yeah. Dr. Beeth, when I was listening to your talk, um, one of the things that struck me as uh, an important point that many of our listeners are just going to need to uh, hear and consider and, and have an answer to is this issue of how we apply the principles of, uh, of the Reformation's view of classical education to where we're at now. Because one of the great insights that Luther had, one of the great developments that comes out of that, is this move away from uh, vocation as a concept isolated in the clergy mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. uh, a, a concept that all of us are fulfilling in our mm -hmm. whatever our occupation, calling, um, area of service to our neighbors are. But when I say classical Christian education, the last thing that comes to my mind is this sort of egalitarian, everybody gets mm -hmm, it, everyone's mm -hmm. in on it. I think of like expensive private schools when I hear that. So yeah. talk to us about what your view, your vision for um, reclaiming that all-inclusive uh, understanding of classical education is in a time when it seems beyond attainment. Well... Uh, yeah, one of the themes of the conference uh, is about elitism, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, you had a good uh, discussion you led uh, about elitism and the proletariat and where this class goes. It, it occurred to me as you were saying that, um, I don't think anybody in classical education is among the elite in our society. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're you know, middle class, well-educated, you know, reasonably affluent. But the elite in our society is exactly the ones who are against classical education. Yeah. Right, it's hyper-vocational. It's all yeah. STEM, yeah. or it's all Ivy League, uh, social climbing, right. that model. Uh, uh, education is for achieving social status. Uh, classical education, we don't have any power in society. Christians, we need to realize this and come to terms with it. We used to be. Yeah. But we don't have any political power, really. We don't have any cultural power. Mm -hmm. We don't have any uh, even economic power very much. Most 
teachers in the classical schools uh, are not paid nearly as much right. as they should be, yeah. right, I'm right. afraid. And so we might almost I think, turn around some of, that, some of that paradigm. We're a minority keeping alive something that's in danger of being forgotten. Not just education, but including the achievements of our civilization, including the great works, which hardly anybody reads anymore except people in classical schools. Right, right. The, the difference, though, is that classical education is so powerful academically at a time where schools, progressive education is just coming apart academically. I'm not talking right. about ideologically or anything else. Right. When you use it's the word progressive, in, too, you're not using it in the same sense that most people think of it. You're, you're using it in the sense of a particular view of education. Well, yeah, the, the, the contemporary, dominant, right. established, elite mm. philosophies of education that are taught in the, most of the nation's mm. uh, uh, universities and they're turning out most of the teachers and this is all they know. Uh, it's based, it's called progressive education from a Thomas, uh, from a, a, a Dewey who uh, uh, articulated this. And there's a time where regular education in the public schools, it was quite compatible with Christianity. It wasn't the same. They were, they were different, but, but it didn't undermine it. Now it's gone to some extremes where it, it does undermine, I think, a Christian view even of, of reality, of objective, this idea that we create our own reality. and I mean, that's very caustic to education yeah. because what is there to learn if we all just live in our own little universes uh, and we see education being taken over by uh, the impulse for political indoctrination, for uh, other kinds of ideological... Uh, uh, training or brainwashing, some might say, and the skills, even very basic skills of uh, reading and writing and yeah. mathematics, we're in a, a crisis state. And, and the people who need that most are the people who aren't elite. Yeah. The people who are affluent, they can pick it up or hire people to do it or use right. technology to find it. But poor children, minority children, they're the ones that are being victimized by the terrible education offered in you know, most public schools. I'm right. afraid, I'm sorry to say. What classical education gives is a powerful education, a liberating education, one that equips people of any background to really develop their their gifts and their their humanness and their capabilities and so to me uh this is the kind of education that is needed especially for disadvantaged people and and our elite you know the 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 big uh corporate sort of educational establishment they're the most hostile to this yeah. because temporary education I think uh, works very well for they're interested in you know churning out workers for the factories and um, consumers 
of the of the the consumer goods that right. the big companies that are buying technology and depending on that and becoming addicted to it. Whereas, uh, really, a, a classical approach to education uh, really runs counter to that, mm. and I think can be uh, an antidote to a lot of the the bad things that we're getting, not just in education, but in our our culture as a whole. So it's a Classical education means, you know, it's something that's beneficial to the little guy. It's not something that's exactly. a pie-in-the-sky, elitist yeah. sort exactly. of thing. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And maybe one distinction we could make is between um, elitism and elites. Because I actually do quite agree with you. Like most, yeah, most of what you see in the classical education movement isn't, isn't being pervaded by cultural elites. Um, one thing I wonder, though, is can there be a, maybe can there be a, a mentality in some kind of movements that are excited about classical education uh, that uh, that 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 over that, that over is overly narrow about what the educational project must be and then doesn't so we're going back to like the going back to the little guy right you know like mm -hmm. we want uh, you know what's available to 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 to, to you know, to you think you know the underclasses basically. You mm -hmm. know, for their for their liberation, as it were. Mm -hmm. um, um, could we could we say that? Um, I guess what I'm trying to figure out is, is what way could we look at a, a a gesture toward the good in their circumstances without saying, um, well, you're you're not kind of moving toward what classical education is after unless you have sort of a classic and rigorous curriculum of Greek and Latin and yet and yah, as opposed to so for instance saying. Um, Teaching, uh, teaching, you know, just uh, 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 expo exposing people to great books just by itself. Like, would you say that for, you know, working classes who might not have a lot of access to other options, that just exposure to great texts is itself uh, liberating? I well, mean, it, it is, it is. And, and, and the fruit of a classical education of doing that is mastery of language doesn't have to be Latin or Greek. Mastery of the English language, being able to mm. read well, to write well, to be persuasive. Mm. And there's a lot of political power in in that yeah. Yeah. to be able yeah. to persuade others. Uh, and uh, also, the other part I was sort of neglected today. I, I talked about is uh, mathematics. Uh, people assume mm. the, the they say, well, we, sh we don't need liberal arts. Uh, education. We need STEM education: science, technology, engineering, and math. Well, first of all, the assumption is that liberal arts means humanities, right? And that's very dominant in the universities. It's mm -hmm. become almost a synonym for that. Whereas, if you look at liberal arts education historically, um, yeah, three of the liberal arts were about language, and it includes great books and and uh, uh, but. Mathematics involved mm. four of the seven liberal arts. Mm. And Western science grew out of people who had a classical education. Mm. And um, so the whole business of separating science, technology, engineering, math from humanities and humaneness and you know, literature and history and philosophy, that's harmful to both mm realms and the genius of all classical education is to bring things together 
Yeah. And to relate knowledge together, relate text together, yeah. show the interconnection <laughs> of, of learning. And again, that's a very powerful concept. Uh, progressive education is hyper-specialized. So even if you get into a good school and a good university and you take it, do the best with it, you often end up with a very narrow specialty. And you know maybe a lot about that if you're lucky. Right. Now that's become difficult too. But you don't know about anything else. Right. Now, if you're trying to live in a, in a society, if you're trying to, to, to make a difference, uh, if you're trying to enrich your life because your life, you have troubles and, and you need an education that is bigger and broader. Yeah, no. If it's a narrow education... I know exactly what you mean about people who say they're classical educators in this very narrow, narrow way. They're not really classical educators any more than a liberal arts requirement in a university that's studying specialized different areas and none of the courses you're having in your liberal arts relate to each other. Mm. That's not liberal arts for yeah. sure. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that... Um, a lot of what passes for classical education really isn't that way at all. Mm. Yeah. I remember you said something, uh, you said the modern progressive model, all the subjects are sort of disassociated with mm -hmm. one another. Mm -hmm. uh, and one thing that we use in the classical Christian model is we talk about a holistic approach right. to education where right. it's the whole person, body, soul, exactly. and mind. Yes. And I think that really is a distinctive. And I think what you're talking about, Joe, is like, it's less of a formula with like plug mm -hmm. the Latin, the Greek, mm -hmm. the, Plato, Aristotle, mm -hmm. yada, yada, yada. And out pops this virtuous little, yeah. you know, classically trained person. Well, and you, mm -hmm. you're talking about holism. It, it's both a holism of the person and then a holism of the content. So like the yes. universe, one truth. Right. It's a university. It's, you know, the truth is all related as a whole. And then we are holes. And it's the adequation between those. That's the kind of the conversation. And right, it seems to me that. The, the catalyst for that can be can be can be manifold and classical education in that sense might look very different depending on who is doing it and what yeah. uh, but but it, if you're thinking of it that way it seems to me that you're already sort of on a gesture toward the truth whereas in what I was referring to is I think sometimes you see sort of uh, people denigrating maybe uh, 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 programs where it just has the great books, but they don't have a Latin program, for instance. And it's well, like, well, that's just worthless, then I guess. And it's right. like, well, no, it's not worthless. Right. I mean, right. 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 reading Dostoevsky is still cool. Yeah, and that's that's important. Uh, Dr. Michael Lynch is here also, and he gave a he gave um, a good historical sketch, uh, 1550 to about 1650. One of the things I appreciated about him. And I related to the, I relayed this to him after his uh, his paper was. He said, you know, back in like the fifteen, the mid fifteen hundreds, they were they mastered certain um, tasks before they moved moved on. So if you were studying mathematics or whatever it was, they mastered that. Then you moved on. Mm -hmm. It wasn't sort of this grading model that's that's div di uh, divvied up by age. Mm -hmm. It was competency, mm -hmm. um, and um, I'm starting a classical um, classical Christian school in mm -hmm. Brevard County, Florida, uh, and and uh, I've had this conversation with our board. <laughs> it's like, yes, we can put the bells and whistles, and we can have all the courses, but we also are trying to teach to mastery. 
and this comes out of my personal experience of homeschooling my son. When we were brand new homeschoolers, it was, we went to the homeschool conferences, classical homeschool conferences are, you know, they will break the bank. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but we, we got all the fancy new little things to do. And my wife and I just got burned out within two years and you just can't mm -hmm. do it. So I really do think that this is a good, I, this is a good way to like escape the elitism while also maintaining a sort of classical ethos, if you will. Where we, we sit down with humans that have written these great books and we allow the, the books to do something to us. Mm -hmm. We really sit before the text and we try to figure out wisdom. This is really what classical education is trying to do. Cultivate mm -hmm. virtue and wisdom mm -hmm. in people. Yeah. Um, so I guess, because uh, we're all going to go to dinner here in, a, in just a few minutes. Uh, but I'll throw out one last thing and then if you gentlemen have anything. Um, I'm interested in your personal opinion on how... How do you feel about the future of classical Christian education in the West? We, I know we're seeing a little resurgence of that, especially in light of the lockdowns and COVID, parents mm -hmm, looking right, for alternatives. Right. Mm -hmm. But how, how do you feel about the, uh, the movement? Well, classical education has been kind of rediscovered kind of piecemeal. Mm -hmm. uh, Dorothy Sayers came up with the Trivium. Mortimer Adler came up with the great books. And, and we keep learning more and more about it. And there's more and more to be discovered. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm thankful about uh, uh, this, this conference because we're able to, mm -hmm. to dig into that a little bit more. But then how to apply that, that's a, it's a work in progress. But I will say that if mainstream education continues to fail hmm. to turn out educated people, people with, with requisite skills and knowledge. and Society has to have education, especially an advanced one like ours. Hmm. And if the Christian students, the products of classical education, are superior in what they know and what they can do. And all the research I've seen yeah. mm. into the assessment of classical curriculum, classical school versus public schools, right. there's no question. Right. The, the, the classically educated young people are doing so well by mm. every measure. Well, who's going to be equipped to lead the nation? Who's going to be equipped to be successful in the jobs? Again, this is not job training, right. but who's going to have the breadth of mind to really be effective? And I think this is the way that Christianity may start influencing the culture again, like right. it used to. Uh, because it's really hard to uh, even grasp or accept that the collapse of education in the, the mainstream uh, context. And I think uh, products of homeschool kid, uh, of, of homeschools and classical Christian schools. One of the great things that's been gratifying to me uh, at this conference is meeting a generation like, like you. You say you were homeschooled. Well, when I was young, no one even thought of homeschooling. Yeah. Right. Uh, but but now there is a generation, maybe more, mm. of adults who have been given this kind of uh, teaching. 
And now I see that they're taking it further. They're yeah. the ones that are really uh, dis- discovering the progenos mata and these other mm-hmm. elements and being very effective in, mm. in what you're doing, in your, in your callings. So to me, that's very uh, encouraging and exciting. Yeah. Mm. And so when I think about the future of classical education, I think of the future of the students who've been classically educated mm. And what this is doing for them, and I look at the competition. Uh, maybe you shouldn't put it that way, but those who have not been classically educated and look at their their plight today, and uh, yes, how can I be uh, more optimistic? As I've said, uh, the one area where Christians have been winning the culture war is in education. Yeah. Mm. Okay, that's about it right now. We're mm. losing on all the other fronts. Right. But this is one where Chris are really making mm. some really strong headway. And uh, we need to feel good about that. Mm. Dr. Vith, as we close here, I want to really put myself in the shoes of someone who's listening. And this subject is new to them. And they think, wow, this sounds really compelling. This sounds like we've lost something precious in, in, in Christendom, in the church, mm-hmm. in our uh, our disjointed society. But I want to move in that direction and, and, and you know, sort of tagging on to uh, Joe's question from earlier, what is an initial step that someone can take in that direction if they're fascinated by this, but they, are, they just have no acquaintance with classical Christian education and they have very limited means to get there? Well, there's a wealth of material online. And criticizing technology, but I'm uh, advocating it here on a YouTube channel. So, uh, but anyway, that's that's a, that's a, that's a great uh, uh, blessing too, really. Um, but uh, look up classical education online. There, there's some great books. I wrote a little book with Andrew Kern called uh, Classical Education, which is kind of an introduction to it. And it talks about different ways. There are different kinds of classical education. And uh, Andrew Kern, my former student, he has a whole website on the, uh, the, with the Circe Institute that just has a wealth of material. One thing, classical education is not traditional education. Okay. A lot of people confuse that with, well, yes, the old one-room schoolhouse, reading, right. writing, mm-hmm. arithmetic, get back to the basics, talk yeah. to the tune of the hickory stick. <laughs> that was not classical. Yeah, my grandma had that painting. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that... Uh, I mean, it had many things to go for it. It, right. it, it sure. taught uh, it taught uh, uh, very well in some ways, but that is not classical education. Uh, classical education is really before that, and is a much more humane, kind of liberating uh, approach to education than we we associate. And, and it's certainly not that you know narrow, boring, right. tedious sort of approach that some people look. But with nostalgia, because yeah. it bears what we have now. So, um, uh, but check it out. There's a lot of resources. Uh, there are online courses that your students can have. Uh, there are online yeah. schools. And uh, the, uh, again, some 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 of them, people may not have to... Uh, 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 be able to pay for some of those. You might look into it because they're they're not they're probably less expensive than, than maybe some other alternatives that sure, you might sure. think. And if you can't, um, 
I mean, I never had a classical education, uh, but library a library card is free. Yeah, and uh, I sort of gave myself a classical education, <laughs> right. and got interested in in it, and started reading and reading, and uh, you'll be amazed what you can yeah. learn. In fact, part of the fear that some people have, some parents have about classical education is, I don't know anything about this. How can I give that to my kids? Right. Part of the genius of classical education is really, in a way, the teacher doesn't have as much to do or as much to know as you might think because part of the classical approach is you know, dialectic where you're having conversations with your child and you're leading them to make discoveries for themselves. Yeah. For in a real classical education, the liberating education, you're giving students really good books to read. And you're talking to them about it. Okay, you can do that. You don't have to have a classical education to talk to your kids. Yeah. And properly, when done really well... In, it, uh, understanding comes from dialectic, from conversation, not the model of a teacher knows everything right. and then tries to pour it mm -hmm. into the head of a child. Okay, that's kind of traditional education yeah. or right. progressive education yep. in some ways. Yep. But cl classical education is liberating education, and and it's one that respects the, the individual person and, and of the humanity and the soul of the child mm. and equips them to, to grow and, and gives them what they need to grow. Uh, certainly spiritually for Christians, that's our main priority, but to grow in their, in their intellect, to grow in their feelings, mm. to, to have, to, to feel things they should be feeling mm. like compassion and, patriotism and uh, courage mm -hmm. and uh, things like that. And it's, it's um, something that I think that pretty much any parent can give to their child, even if they haven't had that themselves. Mm -hmm. Anything else? Well, this was really good. Okay. Thank you, brother. Thank we you. appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Bill. And we're looking right. forward to your uh, lecture tomorrow. And I think we're going to eventually have these put up anyway, right? I don't know. We'll have to talk. I with... believe so. Yeah. 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 So, well, thank you, uh, Dr. Veith. Yes, we sir. appreciate it. Everyone, thank you okay. so much for tuning thank in. You. Signing out. And uh, we will see you next week.